This podcast is brought to you by Church Society, a fellowship contending to reform and renew the Church of England in biblical faith. You'll find more information about Church Society and all the things that we do on our website, churchsociety.org. You'll also find there the full archive of the podcast. Well, welcome to this uh, Church Society podcast. My name is uh, Chris Moore and I've been joined by Rob Munro, who uh, has been uh, in ministry up in, well, you, I'll ask you to say a bit about yourself in a minute, but, but up there in Chester Diocese for some time, got very much stuck into his parish and I was interested to talk to him, one, because obviously a man of great influence in the North and deserves to be spoken to, but really because he's had a, a ministry where he's just got stuck in, got stuck into the local parishes, uh, got stuck into the diocese, and just to talk something about the benefit of doing all of that. But first of all, Rob, do you just want to say a little bit about uh, where you are, how long you've been there, and what kind of area uh, do you find yourself ministering in? Um, well, I'm the rector of uh, St Mary's Cheadle with uh, Daughter Church St Cuthbert's, which is a church society patronage living. Um, and I've been the rector here for 18 years. Although, um, unusually, it's actually the church where, um, previous to that, I was converted. So, in some ways, coming home, which is um, an interesting dynamic to this whole story. Um, but uh, I served before that in a, a, a middle-of-the-road parish, a sort of turnaround situation, in a place called Davenham, which is in the middle of Cheshire, literally. Apparently, Spin Cheshire, Chester Diocese on the spire of Davenham Church, if you turned it upside down, is the theory. Um, and uh, and I was there six years before, having done a curacy before that in Hartford. Um, so, uh, so 18 years here means I pretty much know my way around. Excellent. So, I mean... If you did six years, which is a you know a good a good solid time at Davenham, and how how's that compare then? You're kind of six years at Davenham and, and the eighteen at Cheadle. What, what I mean, apart from the obvious, it's been longer. But what diff- other differences do you think that that's shown up? Well, I think there are probably two or three main differences. I mean, um, firstly, the contacts were very different in the sense that um, one parish when I went to it. Um, had no tradition of evangelical ministry and um, establishing and the foundations of that um, came with considerable cost. It wasn't an easy, um, an easy ministry to do. And in some ways, by grasping some nettles earlier, I was able to um, really lay some foundations that helped um, future ministry. And indeed, there have been two other evangelical ministers at that church since I've left, um, which is always encouraging, having not been preceded by one. Um, and so that was um, that was very much hands-on. M- nearly everything that happened started because I was doing it and initiating it. And although I had a fairly um, active training programme, uh, doing the equivalent of Christianity Explored and... Um, a discipleship programme and a leadership programme. Um, it was three years before every member of the PCC would be identified as a converted person, according to my wardens. Um, and But by six years, it, it, there was a foundation to build upon. Uh, and that was part of the providence of God calling on. In, in St Mary Cheadle, by contrast, there's been a long history of um, conservative and evangelical ministry. Um, there was a well-established... Um, series of congregations um, across two church buildings, and um, and I was coming in very much with a, a view of saying how could um, a congregation that's well established keep its centre and heart 
Um, there were particular challenges, some of which I was aware of before coming, some of which became clearer as I'd arrived. But how do we keep the main thing the main thing? And to some extent, when you're dealing in a well-established congregation, um, people have a lot of their own history and they don't know why they do what they do. So one of my jobs has been to try and help people know why. In fact, when I started, I gave three goals for my ministry, which would be um, that we would promote unity with two diverse churches and seven congregations. We would develop a strategy so we knew why we were doing what we were doing and not just keep doing it. And we would seek excellence to glorify God and honour him with doing the best that we can do. Uh, and those have proved to be helpful guides and guards to things as they've grown. Hmm. I mean, just interested in the Church Society Trust aspect of it just for a minute. I mean, has that brought any difference from your point of view? I mean, how how's that played out in the parish? Because I know some Church Society Trust parishes like yours are kind of uh, have a long evangelical history other ones are now in multi-parish set up set up so that's been kind of uh, just jumbled up a bit but your experience has there been anything that you've got from church side or the trust for being a a member or a member um, church well we've we've um always um had church society as one of our mission link partners so um we've pray regularly for church society we support financially and um, the work that goes on uh, as a result of that and um with various different, uh, in various different ways, um, we've been involved. I mean, I mean, I've been more recently most involved now as the vice chair in the Church Society Council, but um, through the merger with the Fellowship of Word and Spirit. So knowing Church Society well, when we came to bring a, a different organisation together with it, that was hugely helpful. At the parish level, I think apart from mission partners, where we see Church Society is playing a key role in the national church, um, to keep us true to scripture and um, priority to the gospel. I think it would be true to say most people probably are more concerned with just getting on with things locally. And I think that's one of the interesting challenges, and that partly reflects on this conversation, because for most of um, church members, in my experience, um, the concerns of the wider church are just they're, they're blind to them. Um, there are a few who are passionate about other things more widely and a few who will be available for campaigning but most people are looking locally and um, so although church society by way of theology and its um, encouragements um, has shaped the parish most people don't realise um, and most people have done that but we have found support at various times the resources that it produces have been useful to feed in at different key moments uh, we are a parish that's passed a resolution um, to uh, be served by the Bishop of Maidstone should we be asked to be under a woman um, bishop, which we were, because we were the first, um, our half of the diocese had the first woman bishop in Stockport. Um, but in fact, uh, under the oversight of the male diocesan, it, it, a lot of the headship issues didn't arise. And um, as, as you mentioned, I'm quite involved in the diocese as well. So um, although we have that resolution at the grassroots you might say there's not a lot of evidence of it um except for the fact that we have this commitment to reform theology and scripture and evangelism that is part of being i think just a faithful christian bluntly not really <laughs> not really yeah. anything else yeah no, thanks um just thinking back to the parishes again so 18 years um your first nine years 
are obviously, I mean, it doesn't take a genius to work this out. Your first nine years are very different from your second nine years. But I'm just wondering whether you had a kind of a shift in focus at any stage or have you tackled kind of that, that later nine years any differently from the first nine years? Because you've got your feet under the desk, you got to grips with the people. Was there a sort of a, a shift in the way that you looked at things at all? Um, I think so. I think there would be... So, interestingly, obviously, 18 years, my um, my 18-year-old son was um, six months when we arrived. Um, right. it, it, nurturing children is a, not a bad analogy of my experience of leading the parish, to be honest. Um, the first few years, in fact, not as long as nine, probably the first four years I was here, um, there was... Uh, most of my energy was focused on putting key pieces in place for the future. Um, some of those involved, you know, reorganising how we did Sunday school, um, uh, developing a staff team that was able to meet some of the needs of the parish, um, bringing in a greater experience and, and um, those sorts of things, um, and developing a leadership team. Um, and we went through a different phase having got to that stage where we then established a more shared vision, which we had um, under the um, banner of a 2020 vision. And that really shaped us for the next eight, nine years um, from there. Um, and that, um, under the banner slogan of those who are blessed are called to be a blessing, was, was actually something that um, drew in both churches um, more at St Mary's than our daughter church, to, to be honest, but um, uh, it actually engaged people in a bit more of a shared vision and it opened up um, connections with the community that we hadn't had before. So we had certain targets under those areas. Um, developing our community witness was one of them and that was um, uh, a long project. Um, and then coming into a new phase, we had um, a, a bit more of a leadership reorganisation we had a little bit of a hiatus um, when we brought in some external advice on our administration and that um, changed a few things. And um, I went through another phase of developing a slightly different approach to leadership. So a bit like the teenage years with your children, what happens is how do you begin to move from being, um, well, being not the only voice of authority, if you like, um, and trusting that the maturity of other leaders can take responsibility um, in a way that previously I hadn't. So in those three phases, it really was almost like a child. It, you know, in the first stages, you're pretty much leading on everything. In the second phase, it was developing. Um, it was developing maturity and building up a basic, you know, a basic leadership and a basic direction. And then in latter times, it's a bit been giving people more responsibility and allowing those things to, to grow. Um, that is, a, of course, a lot, sounds a lot simpler than on the ground. In practice, <laughs> it's a lot messier than that, and there have been ups and downs in the way as well. But I think that also is a bit like bringing up children as well, if I'm honest. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So it's not, in other words, it's not just the same 18 years, same year, 18 times over, but there's a kind of a real development and path in the way the ministry takes place. I, I think that's true, and in, I'd even go so far to say I think it's actually vital. I think if I'd have been the same person in all of that time, that would have not helped the parish grow. Uh, I mean, I'm the same person in terms of faith and direction and, and priorities and scripture and all of those things, 
but actually the way you relate has to change. And although that's one of the hardest lessons to learn in parenting, I think it is in ministry too. How do you help people to um, grow? How do you trust people? How do you nurture uh, people? And, you know, some the younger Christians are, the more help that they need. But when people become more mature, um, avoiding the trap of... Um, you know, becoming over authoritarian or becoming too directive um, and actually letting God do some of the glorious things he does by his spirit with people, um, letting those take off. Um, that's a hard lesson to learn. And, you know, I think most ministers I know are by default control freaks and actually having the opportunity to let other people fly. It's a, it's a hard lesson to learn, but it's also a glorious one um, when you let it happen. But it doesn't come without cost. You know, um, and again, going back to the analogy of parenting, you know, empty nesting syndrome is a tough time for parents and we're in the middle of it. You know, my youngest is still here. My other two have gone. It changes the way you work together and the way you live together. So, um, uh, you know, some people would actually make those different phases and jump, say, well, I only like it when you're in a toddler phase where I can tell everybody what to do. And so every five years move. And some people would say, well, actually, I, I don't like it when I've got a church that has its own heart and mind that I have to work with, not just direct. And so jump at that stage. I think I'm just persuaded that a mature church family needs a mature ministry and that showing that you can grow through those phases is a powerful help to um, adult Christians who have to learn those things for themselves uh, they have to learn that how to grow in, in their own maturity, take responsibility in their own families as well. So I, I, I do think it's a lesson worth learning, but it doesn't come without challenge or cost. No, no, I can see that. I can see that. And has that worked out in a, I mean, obviously in a different way with the, the wider parish and the community more generally, but I was interested, you said at a point of that, that you one of the focuses was, was in community engagement, which has brought some benefits. So I guess the longer you are somewhere, the better the wider community knows you. Maybe that gives you some new opportunities that you wouldn't have otherwise as well. Um, that, absolutely. And, and to some extent, in two ways, really. Once you, beget, you get to become known, but also one of my particular passions has been to engage in local community and... Um, and I, I, here's a, trip for, a trick for other people like ministers, actually, because on the whole, working with your local community, there's not many people do it. It doesn't take very much time, and actually it can be very rewarding. And so, um, you know, for occasional meetings once a month for half an hour or an hour, um, you can be involved in a lot of different things. Now, I mean, the fruit of that has been within the church. We um, spent a phase of where we're tr trying to develop partnerships with uh, local groups and local organisations. I chaired the um, Sure Start Centre for a while as the community representative um, and helping uh, link in. I mean, which is great for understanding the parish. I mean, they get access to, to, to uh, data about who lives there that, you know, people give the right arm to know about normally. Um, so there are advantages too. But then we also develop partnership with Age UK and with Mind, working in community areas, um, to try and develop a way of working locally that had integrity for Christians working alongside non-Christians. Um, we're just at the moment, in fact, I just came off a meeting earlier today from planning our Christmas um, outreach event. Well, we've got a Christmas outreach event that the council have subsidised by £5,000 this year that um, our local uh, local 
treasurer of the civic society is helping manage the finances with us um, and a group of 13 folk um, from the community are helping with us planning now you know notwithstanding the fact that this is celebrating christmas in one of the big outreaches of the year for the church and um, to have a whole bunch of non-christians who want to be there working with you is the fruit of long-standing relationships now the key to those relationships though is is sacrifice and um, this takes time it takes time but it takes um, a genuine concern to see good done in the community and it's not that I win every battle in conversations with people but the longer you're there and the, the more you show that you have that commitment the more fruitful that has proven to be and I can think of a couple of people who've uh, come to faith directly through that connection um, people who've been involved in the community who've worked alongside me um, not to mention the reputation I have to say one of my highlights which is a few years ago now probably about um, seven or eight years ago, but the um, chairman of the local Conservative club, which actually is not a very political organisation, it's more a social club with cheap ale, but uh, at the end of the day, uh, he said, oh, Rob, you never guess what happened. Um, he said, I was, I was sat at the bar, he was running the bar, he said, and I heard so-and-so, this um, celebrated, well, local um, notorious character, um, telling his mate about how good the church was. And this particular person had never been in the church at all, but actually um, had heard so many good things. He was telling his friend that the church was good news. I thought, that's great. I mean, it's hard enough getting Christians to tell how good the good news is, but when you can get to the stage where non-Christians are doing it to each other, that's got to be worth something. I, yeah. I, I put it like this, though, if it helps. We've got to be good news as well as bring good news. You know, we've got to walk the talk, if you want to put it like that. But we actually, what makes a community... Um, say, this is good, there's something good here, even if I don't believe it. Um, well, we need to do that, and it comes because of sacrifice, because we serve people without expecting to come back. If you want the biblical model, I think it's Jesus and the 5,000. You know, how many of the 5,000 were there on Resurrection Day? Pfft, no more than 200, if that. Mm. So did he waste all of that time on the rest of them? Of course not, because the gospel is the gospel to all, um, even if all don't respond. So we're called to that sacrifice, it seems to me. Mm, that's good. Thank you, Rob. We're going to go into adverts now, but as a kind of incentive for you to uh, listen through and come back afterwards, uh, we're going to shift gear a little bit uh, after the advert and have a look a little bit at getting stuck into the diocese how and the wider Church of England and how Rob's uh, done that and the benefits that we have for contending there in that wider sphere in the Church of England. <laughs> It's nearly a year since the Church of England launched their Living in Love and Faith resources and asked churches and uh, individuals to engage with them and send in their responses. Those responses will begin to be assessed from the beginning of November and we would love to encourage you uh, to send in as many responses as you can. People can uh, fill out the survey. Uh, they don't have to have taken the whole course. They may have watched some of the videos. They may have read some of the content on the web page. Uh, but also, we'd love you to be sending in creative responses. And to help with that, we have a number of resources at churchsociety.org. In particular, I want to draw your attention to two colouring pages that you can download. These are suitable uh, even for young children to use, but certainly for teenagers and adults. You might want to encourage your whole youth group or your whole Sunday school to colour them in and submit photos of their work. Perhaps encourage some of the older ones to talk about their own response to living in love and faith and what the Bible teaches 
about sex and sexuality. The posters use the phrase, true love loves truth, which is a thing that even the youngest children can understand, uh, that it's not loving when you lie to somebody, and that God, who loves us above all things, does not lie to us, that we find the truth that he teaches us in his word, and that's how we know he loves us. So please do go and have a look at all the Living in Love and Faith resources on the Church Society website. There are videos introducing the process, there are courses helping to teach your congregation about some of these issues, and there are various suggestions for how you might respond. Right, we're back here again with uh, Rob Munro talking about uh, a kind of sustained ministry in a, in a place. And I wanted now to look a little bit, Rob, if you don't mind, at the way that you've uh, engaged with the diocese. You've, you've sit on committees, you're, uh, congratulations, you've just been re-elected to General Synod, you're uh, Rural Dean, I think I'm right in saying. That's right, uh, yeah. When I looked you up on Crockford's. Uh, now, I, I was Rural Dean uh, for two years and then gave it up because I thought it was a rubbish job. So uh, what, what is it um, that you see in these kind of diocesan roles? maybe particularly the rural dean that you know you're happy to give your time and get involved and engage with that when to be frank uh, many uh, evangelicals are quite happy just to kind of sit in the passion get on with it and let the diocese do what the diocese does um a good question uh, the rural dean thing uh, is actually perhaps the exception that proves the rule in this because um i think i was about the last man standing when they were looking for one to replace because <laughs> a load of people had retired and a load of other people were too new but notwithstanding that uh, i'm actually um happy to serve in that way um two things though really i think um i've always believed um that when god calls us to serve he calls us to serve his whole church um, and that uh, although, you know, the primary expression of that is in the local congregation, um, that actually we are interconnected by grace and faith through every other Christian and that um, and therefore when people are getting it wrong out there, um, we have a responsibility for that. So what I've always done is been been willing to serve. Um, that hasn't meant I haven't actually gone out looking for jobs or anything particularly, but when opportunities have come up, I've not automatically said no or said oh this would be a waste of time on the contrary i found that over time as people recognize that you are there to help and serve um you begin to build a, a relationship and in some ways it's just the same as working in a parish in in many ways it's just saying um do we have wisdom to share well i believe reformed theology and, and evangelical ministry is is the best model for ministry, is the best for the Church of England. I, I don't have any problem in saying that in the context that I'm in, but I've got to show that it's the best. I've got to show people the difference that it makes. And for most people, they just don't know what that means. It, you know, there's all sorts of very strange and untrue stereotypes about what um, evangelical ministry is. I mean, for most of the middle-of-the-road churches, their assumption is evangelical means charismatic and the word happy clappy tends to go with it. Yep. Um, yep. How, will you, how will you ever combat that if you don't sit down with people and serve them? But the other thing is, actually I believe that evangelical gospel ministry is good for us and good for the church and therefore I want to show how and why and the way to do that is by being involved. Now it, it takes time, not as much as people think. You know, the meetings don't happen that often in dioceses um, and it takes a little bit of energy to say, what's my priority here? 
Um, mm. But I've found it's, it's paid dividends in the longer term. So I've been involved in quite a lot of different things over the years, and I say latterly. Um, I was, I'd served my third term as chair of clergy for the diocese and involved in the human resources and staffing review and the finance and scrutiny and things like that. Thankfully, in our diocese, most of those meetings all happened on the same day, back to back, over a very long day, but it only happened um, four times a year for a very long day, which didn't seem like a great sacrifice to make for the sake of the wider mm. church. And it's no secret, I think, um, that by doing that, that put me in the place of being able to have a voice when it came to the appointment of our Darson Bishop, when it came to um, uh, the appointment of other people, really. Not because there is some secret cabal going on to try and manipulate anything, but actually if you show yourself to be a servant of others, then people listen and people are willing to, to, to hear that and to take part. So I've found constructive engagement has been fruitful. Um, you have to be willing to bear with some of the rough and the smooth. And in my experience, it takes about, uh, sorry to say this, takes about seven or eight years before people learn to trust you. Mm. And at that stage, they then begin to listen to you. And if you are still bringing good things, um, then that begins to bear fruit. There's a similar sort of message then to the parish, isn't it? That if you're in there for the long haul, then um, you'll get the respect of the wider community because you've been in there for the long haul and you're committed to them in that way. Yeah. And so you do and, think... And I, think I do think it's also worth saying that actually, again, the sacrificing... It is. I'm not that clever, actually. It, it looks good, but it is the same message. I think it's what ministry is. Sacrificial service of the people with the gifts that you've got for the glory of God. So we, we are called to serve where we are, and we, where we are is in the Church of England, and therefore, why wouldn't we? Um, and, you know, we need to be, be good news to them. But it, 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 is, it is something that um, uh, I'm also being blessed by being in a parish that has been gracious enough to allow it. Um, I've had colleagues working alongside me that's freed me up a little bit. Um, as well, so I, I would be. It would be a lie to say um, I haven't been able to do more because the parish has enabled me to do it. I think that's mm. worth saying as well. Um, having said that, the amount of time it takes is a lot less than people think, and the amount of influence you have is a lot more than you often appreciate. Mm. And nationally, then, on General Synod, I, I found out, I'm not quite sure how I found this out, but I found out the other day that uh, you sit on the, or had sat on the Diocese Commission, whatever that may be. And so clearly you've been involved with General Synod, but also in some of the committees there. Is it the same kind of story there? Is that kind of influence you can bring the same? Because obviously, with your five yearly elections, in a sense, it, it's maybe a little bit more precarious, uh, because you may not be in the same place for that long. Um, well, yes, I, I will. I'll probably stand again for the Diocese Commission um, when it comes up in the spring. Um, so I'm still on it technically at the moment. Um, General Synod is a, a slightly different animal in that um, it's much more politicised than um, working in a diocese. So um, in a diocese, you have the opportunity to make genuine relationships and make constructive difference. In General Synod, in my experience, there's a lot more people who are already in the particular silos that they have to start with. Mm. 
and um, the engagement is very different. Um, now that said, I mean it's not all bad, but it it um, it is generally a drain on my spiritual welfare to go. Um, having said that, again, behind the scenes and often with committees with um, written responses to consultations, you are heard through the general synod more than you might appreciate. And there are one or two likely suspects who jump up and down and are always speaking. But in fact, behind the scenes, you can um, make a difference if you make a positive contribution, if you are willing to do things better. Uh, I think sometimes conservative evangelicalism is in danger of becoming reactive and not proactive Mm. in the sense that we, we always know what we're against, but we're not so good at telling people what we're for. And part of the challenge that I've seen is actually I want to be on General Synod to model to people who've never met an evangelical, and there are people who don't know what an evangelical is. And I've met bishops who have clearly not understood what a conservative evangelical is. Um, But by being there and sharing and talking and contributing positively, you start to undo some of those stereotypes. It it comes with pain. Um, The politics means that there are moments of of genuine grief i mean uh, on one occasion you know i was pretty much in tears giving a speech after one of the um debates on the women bishops um it comes with a lot of emotional investment as well um is it worth it well you know who knows god is sovereign but i think i take this approach we're called to be part of something so be a part don't be separate from it and and um and if God opens the door for you to do more of that, great. If he doesn't, you know, if you stand for election, don't get elected, that causes me, I know, angst at all, only relief. But if if you do get elected, maybe that's part of his calling to to serve. And it's interesting, it's been easier for me to get elected to things than it is to ever be appointed to things, is my observation about, right. you know, that the, ch- the church is more willing to work with positive people who are bringing something that they think is good. And I mean, that's what I think. I just genuinely think conservative evangelical ministry, evangelical ministry generally is, is good for us, good for the church, but we need to share what's good and not just shout about what's bad. So I suppose in a sense, we could, we could sum both bits up by saying that the calling then is to, is to pick up the cross and get stuck in. There's that kind of sacrificial side to the ministry, but that is the calling. We're part of a bigger church and a bigger community, get engaged and stay long. Is that fair? Yeah, absolutely. And I think sacrifice is key. It's something that sometimes is drifting away from ministry. And, you know, it's not to be at the cost of well-being and all of that that's very trendy at the moment. But actually, in the end, you know, we are to take up our cross and follow Jesus. And that is the cost that comes with um, the responsibility of leadership and teaching the scriptures and sharing the gospel. And, And I think it applies at the parish level. You know, you don't, if you love the people you're serving, if you love your parish, if you love your diocese, if you love your Church of England, then love involves sacrifice and commitment to it, and they're going to hurt you. It, that's what happens with people that love you. Um, but we shouldn't, uh, we shouldn't, we should expect it, but we should also seek to bless it and to influence it and um, to, to pray for it and to, uh, to work as hard as we can to see as much as we can. And in the end, who knows? You know, we're not at a time where the future is certain and there are things where the church could reject all of the work that we do, but they rejected our saviour too. And so I'm not sure even that means we shouldn't be doing it. Mm. Um, And in the end, 
you know, it's in the hands of a sovereign God who loves us as to what he brings from the fruit of it. Um, but no, I'd just say to anybody who's looking at it, have a go. And in fact, you'll find it's more fruitful than you realise once you just give it the time to grow and uh, and spend a little bit of time serving. That's great. Rob Munro, thank you very much. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Church Society podcast. You can find the whole podcast archive on our website, churchsociety.org. Don't forget to subscribe to us on your usual podcast app. And we'd love it if you are able to leave a review or give us a rating over there as well. Mm.